For those who are regular attenders here at Trinity Baptist Church, you know that we've been conducting a study of the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossian church, uh, and it's been more than 50 sermons in that series, and we actually just finished 12 sermons on four verses, which had to do with the family. Uh, there were directions for wives, for husbands, for children, and for fathers or parents, and we spent quite a bit of time especially on those instructions to parents. And as we dealt with that, of course, we're dealing with children, we're dealing with parents, husbands, wives, and there might have been one group which you might have thought sort of fell through the cracks. What group would that be that weren't perhaps specifically or directly addressed during those 12 weeks of sermons on the family? Well, I would say young people, although they're children, they're not like little children. Uh, they're somewhat in the middle of those categories of children and then, well, of course, they're not yet married, so they're not husbands and wives. They're not yet parents, but they're not really just little children either. So I thought it would be good to step aside from the book of Colossians for at least a week and to speak to the young people. I don't want you to feel left out. And uh, I also don't want you to feel like, oh no, he's getting at me. I'm uh, in the crosshairs and I've got it coming now. But I want to just say that as it were, let's sit down uh, by the fireside. Well, no, it's too hot for that. But let's just sit down uh, at the table and have a chat, if you will, as we speak, as we look at the Word of God together tonight. Now, when I thought of young people, one thing that young people face especially uh, is a, a, it's a time of life when there are many choices to be made. Uh, when you go into high school, of course, then there are choices of, well, what kind of track are you going to follow in high school? And when I was in high school, which was a few years ago, there was the college prep course, and then there was the uh, maybe a little more businessy sort of thing, and then there was the uh, tech track, if you will, for those who might become technicians of one sort or another. And nowadays they divide it up, I think, even more finely. But you have to decide what are you going to do? Where do you fit? And then when you finish high school, there's the decision, do I go to college? And if I go to college, what major, what career am I targeting? Uh, and of course, then the question, whom will I marry? All those other questions, major life-forming choices. And I thought it would be good to consider what are the priorities behind uh, your choices? What are guiding you as you make those choices? And so if you're not a young person tonight, all right, so uh, don't tune me out because there's something here for everybody, but especially for young people. And the passage that came to my mind, there were a couple actually that were sort of jumping up like children in uh, second grade saying, me, me, uh, but I had to choose. So I came down on Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, and I'll read a couple of verses here. Let's read 23 down to the end of the chapter. Uh, but especially our focus is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, 
I hear pages turning. I'll give you a second or two. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 9.23, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clip the hair on their temples. For all the nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. Well, let's pray and ask that as we especially look at these two verses, 23 and 24, that God will uh, help me to speak clearly. And as it were, with this uh, uh, sitting by the table chat, that God would also open my heart to you, young people, and your heart to me, and that those others who are not mere spectators, but who are joining in, that God would speak to each one of us. Because we read that He is a holy God. And we're not just us here in the presence of each other. We're here in the presence of the living God. Let's ask for his help. Our Lord and our God, we bow before you. You are the Lord who delights in and practices loving kindness and justice and righteousness here even on this earth. We know that men delight in many other things, in wickedness, in unrighteousness, in injustice. But you delight in these things. And you are a God who will judge according to these things. And so we ask that you would so rivet our minds and hearts on spiritual realities that you are God and that you are a just and righteous God and yet a merciful God. And that you would cause us to desire this one thing above all others. That we might understand and know who you are by your mercy and by your grace. And so come, help me, the preacher, help each hearer. May your spirit come in power and do mighty things tonight. We ask through Jesus our Savior. Amen. Now, as we look at these couple of verses, I want to say uh, that you cannot read and pluck out a couple of verses here in the book of Jeremiah from their context. And this book of Jeremiah, if you know the book at all, he's called the weeping prophet. He's a prophet who speaks of judgment upon the country, the nation of Judah. He's a prophet who comes with a message of doom, as it were. He's speaking of their sin. It's like a, uh, as one of my teachers spoke of it, as a covenant lawsuit. He's bringing the nation of Judah to court and charging them with wickedness. And there's conviction. And they cannot escape. And we cannot ignore that context. So the first thing that we want to consider, and I'll just give you a little roadmap before we plunge in, is the context, the judgment that's coming for their wickedness and hypocrisy. Secondly, the false hopes. If that's the context, judgment is coming, what's a false hope? The false hopes and priorities 
that people cling to in a nation and in a world bound for judgment. But then thirdly, as you look at these two verses, there is the only genuine hope, the only proper priority in a world bound for judgment. And then, of course, some words of application. But let's consider the context. I want to be brief because I'm aware that you know, we're trying to minimize the time. You have to sit there with masks on. And uh, I'm going to ask you to bear with me, I think, a little bit. But as we go through this context, I need to be brief. Why is their judgment proclaimed on Judah? Well, let's just look in this chapter itself, in chapter 9. If you go back earlier in the chapter, it says to the nation there that uh, I will make, verse 11, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Why? Well, as it were, he jumps into the future and then looks back. Just imagine someone looking back at Jerusalem and Judah after this judgment takes place. And they say, why? What happened to this country that they're laid waste in such a way? Why such a judgment? And if you could fast forward our world to after the day of judgment and ask the question, why a judgment on this world? Well, he gives the answer in the context. Why such a judgment? Verse 12 is the question. Why is the land ruined, laid waste like a desert so that no one passes through? And the Lord said, verse 13, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart and after the bales as their fathers taught them. And so the judgment is coming on the world, on that nation then, on our world now. Why? Because of sin. What sin in particular? And, and I, I tried to stick close to the context. Of course, you have the whole book of Jeremiah. But let's just stick as close as we can to chapter 9 and go back to verse 2. And Jeremiah, weeping for the daughter of his people, weeping for his country, for his fellow countrymen, he says, Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place that I might leave my people and go from them. What does he want to leave his country? For all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. Brethren, adultery, immorality, since the sexual revolution so-called of the 1960s, <laughs> immorality of every stripe imaginable characterizes our nation. If God was angry at his people back then, 6th century B.C., for their adultery, for their immorality, what is his view of the United States of America today? Adultery. Let's go on the next verse, verse 3. And they bend their tongue like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land. They proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Lies and not truth. I mean, who can you trust? You trust car salesman? Oh yeah, this car was only driven by an old lady. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you want to buy a bridge? <laughs> you know, 
Whom can you trust anymore? People breathe out lies. It characterizes our world. Verse 4, And let, no one, let everyone be on guard against his neighbor, and do not trust any brother, because every brother deals craftily, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. I mean, you read the news, and who, again, what can you believe in the news? But so much of it is slander of uh, political character or of this person. And it seems that so much of it is to destroy men's reputations, slander. <laughs> and so one hand, in the le right and left, you see all of these sins. And he's, he, he speaks more generally, as I read later, uh, later in the chapter, of all of their iniquity. God says one thing, and they do the opposite. God says, don't do this. And they say, we're going to do that. The law of God is disregarded and ridiculed and mocked at and tossed out of the courtroom. And therefore, in this chapter, we read verses 15 and 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them this people with wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. And I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the sword after them until I have annihilated them. In, in other words, that generation of those who rebelled. And did it happen? And, and maybe I'm speaking to some here who say, oh, judgment, that's just, you know, scare tactics. That's just preacher's talk. They want to scare us so that we listen. Please. And, and, and if I may address young people especially, not that I'm getting at you in particular, but, you know, you hear this kind of thing. That's just scare talk. That's not going to happen. If you were an Israelite, if you were in Judah, maybe you would have said the same thing. It's not going to happen. Until the Babylonian army was there with their siege weapons at the gate. And the walls were crumbling. And the city was on fire. It happened. Behold, this is what I'm going to do, says the Lord. And he did it. Judgment was coming. And judgment came. Now that was their condition. And I just want to say very, very briefly another thing. In the midst of all of this, what did they do? Well, you know what? Some of these people, not all of them, but some of them said, okay, we need to get religion. And so if you go back, and I do have to depart from chapter 9 here, just look back two chapters to chapter 7, and look at what they were doing there. Verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9, Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered? that you may do all these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. They got religion. They put on a little show and said, okay, you know, we're going to repent. We're going to straighten up. Let me tell you, dear young people, anybody who's listening, a little religion is not going to save you. Putting on a show, 
saying, I repent, saying, I'm sorry, oh God, forgive me, and then you go on just back the way you were. That's what these people were doing. God sees the heart. And that was the point of what he said. I read those last couple of verses in chapter 9. These people are circumcised, and literally what it says, they're circumcised, but they still have foreskins. Wait a minute, that's a contradiction. Exactly. They were circumcised physically, but their hearts were still far from God. And that's why he says in the last verse of chapter 9, they're uncircumcised in their hearts. These people, they put on a show of religion. Oh yeah, they go to the Baal temple, but then they go to God's temple and they say, oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We've got the temple here, we're safe. We've got a little religion. It's good enough. I go to church with my parents, it's good enough. It's not good enough. External show of religion. Fools, maybe some people, doesn't fool God. So there's why judgment was coming. That's the reason. Wickedness, adultery, murder, uh, false religion, false prophets. And by the way, I, I should have mentioned that. They had false prophets who were saying, peace, peace, but there was no peace. You know what, dear young people, we have false prophets doing the same today. And I'm not talking about prophets in a church. Uh, yeah, there are those too, but not in this church, thankfully. So you, you probably don't hear too much of them, unless you go to another church. But they say, you know, God loves everybody. But there are other prophets that you do hear, perhaps, especially if you go to a secular school, a secular university, and they're going to tell you, peace, peace. Judgment? Ah, don't worry about that. What? God? Hell? Oh, that's just an old tale to make children afraid. What are they? False prophets of secular religion. They say, oh, it's not religion, it's religion. In fact, I had a college professor who said that secular humanism is the only true religion. He used those terms. Now, what kind of professor? He was my French professor. You say French? Yes. Teaching religion. Well. That's beside the point, but it is the point. False prophets and God will judge. Don't make a mistake about it. These secular priests will lead you astray. And just as there were false prophets in Jeremiah's day saying, don't listen to Jeremiah, he's just a negative old guy. You can say that about me. You can say that about your pastors here. Pastor Chansky mentioned this morning, we have to talk about sin. Oh, that's negative. We have to. Why? It's reality. And there's a God who judges sin righteously. But that's the context. Now let's come to the second point here, which is the major point here in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. The false hopes and false priorities, and now especially young people, listen to me, because this is where many are biting the, the hook on the worm on the devil's hook and are taken astray. What are the false hopes and priorities of many? Look at the text again. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. 
He mentions three things which become the gods, as it were, of many young people, especially not just young people. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are many older people who fall prey to the same uh, mistakes. That they bite the same hook. What are these three? You, you would think that it, with all these warnings, they would be warned. They were not warned. They hardened their hearts against the prophet. He says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Now, the word wisdom is the same word wisdom that you read in the book of Proverbs, that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Well, there's true wisdom. In other words, there's godly, righteous wisdom, but there's also worldly wisdom. And this word is used in both senses. And here it's obviously used in the sense of worldly wisdom. Uh, let not the wise man boast, well, I know so much stuff. And, you know, young people, and it's not, again, just young people, but you're especially vulnerable to this because you're in school, you're students. And to think that, oh, I'm learning so much. And I remember in physical chemistry, in engineering, chemical engineering school, seeing the vast and intricate interrelation of all these quantities of physical and chemical substances, and it blew me away. And I saw that I only understood so much. <laughs> and it made me think, what a great God. But you know, some people take what they know and say, I know so much and puff up their head. Instead of thinking God's thoughts after him, instead of taking the little you know and saying, wow, God who invented, who created all of this, what a great God he is. They become proud of that little bit they know. And perhaps you're good at school. Perhaps you're a good student and you get good grades and maybe you get the best grade in the class and consistently get the best grade. And the danger is especially large for you. And here you are, you, don't, you haven't yet hardly earned a dollar and you think you're on top of the world and you got it made because you're good at school. And that's your haven of security. I've got smarts. Well, it's a good thing. It's not bad to, to be given uh, a well-furnished uh, mental ability. That's, that's not bad. But where's your confidence? Look at the text again. Let him who boasts. Is that your boast? Look at all I know. Look at what I can do. You boast in your wisdom? You know what? These Israelites were boasting in their wisdom. Babylonians, pfft. We got this. Did they? They could not outsmart the Babylonians. And they could not outsmart God who decreed that the Babylonians would bring judgment to them. Isaiah chapter 47. And here I'm going to jump outside of even the book of Jeremiah for just a moment. If you want to just listen, I'll read the verse. Jeremiah 47, 10 and 11. I, excuse me, Isaiah 47. Isaiah says this. And you felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. 
your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you, for you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away. And disaster will fall on you, for which you cannot atone. And destruction, about which you do not know, will come on you suddenly. Your wisdom and your knowledge have deluded you. And so, if I may say, if I may speak again, heart to heart, as if we're sitting down, and I would love to sit down, and, and some of you I've had breakfast with, some of the older young people, but, uh, you know, if we could just, as it were, sit down here at the pulpit. If I could speak to you heart to heart, don't be foolish, educated people who think, I got this. Their wisdom and their knowledge deluded them, and judgment came, and they couldn't stop it. And you know, judgment is coming to this world, and you can't stop it. What will you do then? If you boast in your wisdom, it will, it will fail you. You don't know everything. And you know, the really smart people they get their PhDs and they get more and more specialized. And the more and more specialized you get, the more and more you don't know because you're only over here. <laughs> you realize my knowledge is insignificant. I hope you get that kind of wisdom. You cannot save yourself. But then furthermore, he says, let not the mighty man Boast in his might. Now, maybe you're not great in academics, but maybe you're good in athletics. And so you keep your body in shape, and I hope you do. You know, the Bible even says that physical exercise, bodily discipline, is of a little profit. Discipline yourself for, to keep yourself fit, that's a good thing. Not bad. But then do you boast about it? You stand in front of the mirror and do your atlas poses and, and uh, admire your physique. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. I'm sure you can press more than I can, or I probably. But, you know, keep yourself fit. And then the rest, no big deal. Boasting in your fitness, your might. You know, the, the, again, the word is used in a good sense. The same word is used of David's mighty men. Uh, in fact, just consider Josheb Bashibath, a Tehemonite. Anybody here name their kid uh, Josheb Bashibath? Uh, probably not. Yasheb, uh, it might be pronounced, but uh, he was chief of the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite. You ever name your kid Adino the Esnite? Uh, probably not. Well, you know what? You probably don't know what this guy did. If you do, you can tell me later, and, and I would think of some prize for you if I were thinking quickly. But what did he do? He was called Adino the Esnite because of 800 slain by him at one time. He killed, by himself, 800 warriors. 
Now, think of these people with the Babylonian army coming in. One Israelite can take care of 800 Babylonians. We got this. Guess what? It didn't work. It didn't help. They were conquered. So today, men are boasting in their strength. I know a man, I knew a man, very, very uh, acquaintance, distant acquaintance, who was uh, built like a bull and very strong. And he died in a gym, pressing heavy weights because he spit up and choked on his spittle. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. But then the third is riches. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Well, I think this is even a, perhaps a greater danger, wisdom, might, riches. Because uh, you say, well, it's not love that makes the worlds go, go round, it's money. And you got to have money. Well, you know what money is. I don't have to explain what that means. Uh, and there were those in Judah who were well off. There were those in Judah who had their lands. They had their houses. They thought, we've got it made. And you know, when the Babylonians came, I couldn't stop anything. When judgment comes, or when death comes first, if that comes first, your money is not going to save you. You think of those who have uh, billions. You know, you go down to your local Walmart with a billion dollars in your pocket. What are you going to buy? Anything you want. And then what? You've got that. And then you're going to go again. And you're going to buy more. It gets old. I mean, not that I've experienced that. But uh, I could imagine... What will all that money do? You know what? The more money you have, the more worries you have. I got to invest this. And what? Oh, that investment went down. Oh, the stocks. <laughs> Not that it's wrong to have stocks. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, and, and those of you who have more money, perhaps you could uh, testify more than I could that the more money you have, the more worries you have. It's, it's not the answer to everything. And especially when the day of judgment comes. You know, just, just calculate this. You end your life, let's say you make a billion. I don't think that's probably in uh, the future of anyone here, but who knows. Let's say you did. Then what? You get old, you die like everybody else, and you face God. And you're going to say to God, God, this is how I spent my life, and I, here's my bank balance. Here's my stock balance. And God says, yeah, and what about loving kindness? What about justice? What about righteousness? These are the things that matter. Mm. Dear young people, this world is heading for judgment just like the nation of Judah was heading for judgment. It was sure. God, it says, come in. And the Babylonians came, and they were carried away, and the temple was burned. It happened. And what does God say about this world? He says, 
it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And you know, it doesn't give preachers delight to say these things, but they must be said. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. That testimony is true. That is what will come. Judgment. What will your wisdom, worldly wisdom, what will your physical prowess, what will your money do in that day? Well then, thirdly, and more briefly, what is the only proper priority in the, in the, the world bound for judgment? Going back to Jeremiah 9, but let him who boasts boast of this. And of course, it's a humble boast because it's not you and your doing that accomplishes this. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, and it's all by grace, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. The only thing worth glorying in, the only thing worth, as it were, uh, lifting up your heart about, not in pride as if you accomplished it, but in thankfulness to the God who is merciful, I know God. J.I. Packer passed away this past week. One of the first books I read as a young Christian was the book Knowing God. It was a new classic at, at that time. I think it was published 1972. I believe I read it uh, in 73. But I remember one chapter in that book, he tells of a college professor that he knew who lost his place because of his stand for the gospel. And this college professor stated to J.I. Packer, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because I have known God and they haven't. It struck me. It stuck with me. I can picture it on the page to this day. I have known God, and they haven't. Can you say that with that confidence, not boldness, not brashness, but gratefulness? I have known God. And sadly, they have not. This is the thing worth boasting about. That you know, not Baal, not the Asherah, not the uh, Buddhas, not, the, not Muhammad, but you know God. The gracious, righteous, just God that you know. You understand who He is and what He has done. Now, how can you know Him? Because as the Bible tells us, He is in heaven, we are on earth. In fact, we read in John chapter 1, no one has seen God at any time, John 1.18. But how can we know God? 
the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. You know who that is? Jesus. He has explained him. Here's the wonder of the gospel that God so loved this sin-cursed world bound for judgment that he gave his only begotten son. We heard of him this morning. Jesus Christ the righteous, our advocate with the Father. We can stand before the Father even with judgment coming. And this is why we can glory in knowing him and be safe from judgment. Why? Because he's our advocate. He's our propitiation. And I don't want to steal Pastor Chansky's thunder from next Lord's Day. But that's what he has done. That's how we can know God. Because there's one who, like those high priests we read of in, uh, in the book of uh, uh, Leviticus. I'll get there. Uh, in the book of Leviticus chapter 9. The great high priest who made the sacrifice. And Jesus, the greatest high priest, gave himself as the sacrifice. So that we, sinners, we who have disobeyed, we, like the people of Israel, who have disobeyed in so many ways, that we can have our sin washed away. And that we can have a perfect righteousness from our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And be acceptable to God. And so, dear young people and everybody, young people of all ages here, this is what I want to say to you tonight. Don't spend your life for things that do not profit. Knowledge is a good thing. It's not bad to even go in advanced degrees and, and to learn more. But I hope you're learning as bringing every thought captive to Christ. And as you learn more, you learn more of God's world. You learn more of His creation. You learn more of His ways. And you marvel. You learn biology. And you don't say, wow, look what oozed out of the primordial soup. You say, look what God made. That makes sense. And so, don't waste your life for these three things. Wisdom, again, it's okay to study, but don't make that your idol. Strength, again, that's good. To be good in athletics, to excel, that's good. But don't make that your idol. You know, there are a lot of athletes. Maybe you watched um, Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, throw out that first pitch uh, this past week, and, and you think, how could anybody throw a ball so badly? But then if, I, I watched a, a, some video clips, and apparently one of these great athletes of all time, uh, and his name, Michael Jordan, threw out a first pitch once some years ago, and it was a wild throw. It's a great athlete. Don't boast. I mean, you're going to humble yourself. You're going to trip up on your feet. The greatest. Don't boast in that. How about riches? Cease from it. They're going to make it themselves wings and fly away. You put your trust in riches. It's a false hope. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. 
You get to the end and you got more toys, so what? Rather boast in this. Can you say this? I know the Lord. If I were to poke my finger in your chest tonight and say, do you know the Lord? Not that I would quite do it that way. If I were to say it graciously. Put my arm on your shoulder while we can't do that. And say, do you know the Lord? Hmm. I I know some Bible. Uh Uh-uh. That's like the Israelites being circumcised externally. Do you know him? How can you know him? (laughs) You know the way. What did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ, you come to him. You confess your sin. You find him. He is the only one who is the advocate who can save your bacon in the court of God. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. If you are ransomed by the wounds of Jesus, by the blood and death of Jesus Christ, you know God. You know him through the only way possible, his son, Jesus Christ. And if you know him, for those of you who do know him, I want to say this, dear young people, think of your life. What are you going to do? Okay, Uh, it was a choice I faced. It was a decision, you know, as a young person, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker? What are you going to do? None of those are bad careers but think of it only one life that soon will be passed only what's done for Jesus will last whatever your career choice what will you do with your life dear Christian young person might God use you in his service in his kingdom Well, that's my burden. That's why I wanted to speak to you, as it were, heart to heart tonight. And I hope that God opened your heart. You know, when I speak sometimes and uh, maybe even raise my voice, dear young people, I don't want you to think, oh, you know, Pastor Steve's mad. I one time had a, a, a little person in the Philippines say, why is Pastor Steve mad? And maybe my wrinkly uh, face shows that. But that's, that's, uh, I'm not angry, except it's sin. And I want you to reach out heart to heart with you, I may, and say, don't waste your life. Don't throw it away for things that do not profit. Wherefore, do you spend your money for that which is not good? Hearken to me and live. That's what the prophet said. That's what God said. Listen to him and live. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would take your word, take it to hearts tonight. And as young people especially ponder those life choices, 
and consider where will they go and what are they here for and what is the purpose and the point that you would show them there is no point outside of Jesus Christ. And that to face judgment without a Savior and an advocate is madness and folly. And that they would flee from folly and find mercy. Yes, genuine righteousness, which is a complete righteousness. And be ready to face justice through the advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would own this word this fireside chat, as it were, and take it home to hearts. And take young and old from the folly of sin to the joy of knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We ask in his name. Amen.